Hello and welcome to Pete's Percussion Podcast. I'm your host, Pete Zambito, and we're here for episode 348 and my conversation with the new director of bands at Wake Forest University in North Carolina, along with being percussionist, educator, and conductor, Tim Heath. Let's get right to it. Tim and I go back a ways, actually, and our paths have crossed with some consistency. As we cover in this conversation, Tim and I likely met at some point when he was a college student just before he started his years finishing out his undergrad at UNC Greensboro, when I was a doctoral student there, though we were not students at the same time at that institution. And it's a lot of fun getting to know Tim over the years through his connection to Wake Forest, considering, as many of you may know, that Wake Forest is where I did my undergrad in the 1990s. And Tim's had close contact with a lot of my old professors, many of whom are either still there or have very recently retired. Additionally, Tim's been involved in both the band and percussion world for a long time, so there's a lot to talk about there. Tim's been involved in the musical life for quite a while now. His path took him all over North Carolina for much of his life, then out to Alabama for school and work, and now he's back in North Carolina. We've currently had contact here and there through meetups at PASIC, at the Midwest Band Clinic in Chicago regularly, and most recently when Wake Forest and Mizzou met up and hung out at the Gasparilla Bowl in Tampa, Florida in December. That was particularly a lot of fun, aside from the fact that one team had to lose, and it's the one that I'm employed by. Tim has also been traveling and researching very recently in Europe, studying wind bands and composers there. There's a lot we talk about, including discussions about playing drum set gigs in weird places, the challenges of recruiting to Wake Forest, his enjoyment of Malcolm Gladwell and Adam Grant's work, and much, much more in this conversation. So let's get to it. We recorded this interview over Zoom on May 11th, 2023, and it begins right now. All right, Tim, give me a submission of your job responsibilities as they are right now. Currently, I am the director of athletic bands here at Wake Forest, but it changes very soon. As of July 1, I will be director of bands. And what I've been doing for the past four years is overseeing all aspects of the athletic band program, including marching band, pep band, uh, any kind of appearances that we would do with cheer and dance or uh, anything that, you know, they want the deacon at, those kinds of things, which is the mascot, um, overseeing all of that and also teaching some um, academic courses as well. I teach a history of wind band. I've taught conducting, do a little bit of uh, percussion teaching occasionally, um, not quite as much as I would like to, but my responsibilities kind of keep me busy. And then also doing some conducting with the wind ensemble. And in July, um, all of those things are still there except for that I'm responsible also for the wind ensemble and become the primary conductor. Let's backtrack, talk about getting the job, where you were before then, and kind of what you found yourself uh, entering when you get to Wake. Before Wake Forest, I was at Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama, and I was very fortunate to end up there because I had moved to Alabama to complete my doctorate in music education. And I... And where were you doing that? Um, the University of Alabama, okay. down in Tuscaloosa. And I'd 
finished all my coursework and was on the job market. Had a couple of opportunities that really just never, never solidified just because of random things. And uh, Samford University ended up offering me the position there as director of athletic bands and also instrumental music education. I was not uh, teaching percussion there, but I was doing all things band, teaching some conducting courses as well, and then um, overseeing all the instrumental music education students, all of the uh, student teaching aspect, and also doing some um, teaching some graduate level courses as well. The intention for my wife and I, we never really planned to move back to North Carolina. So for me, originally being from North Carolina, it was great to be in another state to experience something new. My wife is originally from Baltimore. She enjoyed her time in, in North Carolina. You know, she and I met at Un University of North Carolina at Greensboro. We were both doing our undergrad in music education. Like I said, we didn't really have any, any intentions on moving back. But this would have been fall of 2018, spring 19. I think there were five college band openings in North Carolina. And they were all pretty open, pretty much open around the same time. Hmm. So, yeah, because it was UNCG, App State, UNC Charlotte, uh, Elon, and then Wake Forest. Oh, I right. kind of took it as a sign. It was like, all right, this is this is not going to happen again anytime soon, if if ever. Yeah. So I threw my name in the hat for a few of the positions and interviewed at, at two different places, uh, UNC Charlotte and then here at Wake Forest. And I, I'm a firm believer in you end up where you're supposed to be. And when a door closes, it just means it wasn't supposed to be for you. And I'm, I'm perfectly fine with that. So I ended up here at Wake Forest. It's been great. I have thoroughly enjoyed my time here. Um, and for me, it's it's the perfect position because it's a very academic institution, also with that strong ACC athletic history. And, you know, also being able to come here and be a part of teaching the ensemble that is the oldest college marching band in North Carolina. That's also very exciting. I I didn't know that before I, I started teaching at Wake and being from North Carolina, you would think I would, but had no idea. So that was, that was kind of the journey. So I started here uh, July 1 of 2019. So it's been four years. It's been great. Had Kevin Bowen been the athletic bands person the whole time, right up until when you get there? Because weren't there people that were also like helping out here and there over, over the years. Yeah. I, I think the way it was structured and and I don't know all the details and things like that, but sure. um, I know there's a couple of other people that were here. And I think the way that it was working was Kevin was director of bands and, and still is, he retires at the end of June. He was overseeing everything. I don't know how much of the, the daily in and out he was doing with the teaching, but I know as far as running the program, running the budget, overseeing staff and all of that that was his responsibility and then uh there were a couple of people who were either uh, they were either titled assistant or associate directors they were doing a lot of the teaching from my understanding kevin was also still and, and the assistants as well were doing a lot of the basketball band together it's an acc school we have a lot of basketball so which is fun it's great it's a it's a great great thing to be a part of and um kevin had pretty much from my understanding been doing basketball the entire time. And he's been here. This is year 29 for Kevin. Yeah. 94 fall 94. <laughs> yep. <laughs> my sophomore year. <laughs> oh, nice. Nice. I mean, yeah. that's, that's a long time to be at an institution. I mean, yeah. it's, 
Good for him. I think it's great. And and I think he is deserving of an opportunity to enjoy retirement and not have so many events to be at every year. Yeah. 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 Well, it's been, it's been wild because for so long, it was really strange that, that so many of the faculty that I was teaching at or that I was learning under at Wake was still there well after I'd left. David Levy recently retired. Kevin's retired. David Hagee retired. Stuart Carter is still there. Dan Locklear is still there. Peter Kariff is still there. And I think that's it. Like, but for a long time, almost everybody was still there. Like Louis Goldstein, who I studied piano with, was like retired sometime seven, eight years ago, maybe, or something like that. Or he Louis retired during my first year. Okay. It was it was really so he and Brian Gorlick both. Yes. I, Brian Gorlick. Yeah. Also. Yeah. I, I felt awful for, for those two because, you know, that was their they retirement. They retired during the pandemic. Did. Yeah. yeah. It, and Brian was going to have this big send off uh, concert. His brother was going to come back, yeah. I, I, you know, for, for those who don't know his brother's Kenny G. So yeah. he was going to come and play at the concert. Um, and then Louis retired that year as well. And, and Louis, you know, they, they went home. We all went home during spring break and, they retired during the summer at home. It was, yeah. yeah. I wish they had had that opportunity to, to have a yeah. end of the year kind of send off and celebration. Should have been, should have been better, <laughs> you know? Um, anyway, so it, it was kind of, it's been fascinating that like, I think so much of that is, is like, it's turning over now, you know, yes. talk a little bit about one. I know we'll just jump into this because I know this is something that's, that's a, there's specific challenges at Wake Forest in terms of marching band stuff. Yeah. Which are not necessarily the case. I think in other schools, at least that I'm, I'm familiar with. Would you mind going into a little bit of. Sure. Happy, happy to do that. Um, It's, it's interesting because once again, I didn't know this until I, I got to Wake Forest and what, what presents a challenge for us is that, you know, we are part of uh, one of the power five conferences. We're part of the ACC. You know, we, we have the network there's, there's athletics are big. It's, it's a huge part of what the university has, you know, not only on a daily basis, but of the history, the legacy, and also a a great part of the branding and in a way, you know, that we're presented in, you know, throughout the nation. And what's so challenging about that is we are competing against many schools that are, I would say three, four, five, six, seven, eight, maybe times our size. Um, right. I think right now we have around 5,400 undergraduates at Wake Forest. And it's um, it, it, it provides challenges in that, you know, we're not going to be able to have a 300-piece marching band here at Wake. You know, we're already kind of um, past that 1% rule, you know, generally speaking, if you have 1% of your enrollment, that's great. Well, we are past that. Um, and it's, it's tough because also as more students apply to Wake and, and our, our application number has increased quite significantly. And that's also meaning that um, our acceptance rate is getting even smaller every year. So it makes it challenging because recruiting really happens once students have been accepted and then even more so like for their the early decision one and early decision two once they're accepted i know they're coming to wake so i can start to recruit them in february and march but really a lot of my recruiting doesn't doesn't happen until may one and that's more of those who 
a were accepted and then also you know it's a private institution it's not um it's not cheap and yeah. it's, it's once students get here they've paid the deposit i know they're coming to wake then it's really about recruiting to those who have been accepted and are attending um and one of the things that has been great with that challenge is that athletics and the university also continue to support the idea of us having our shared experience program and that has increased over the past two years um i'm hoping this year that it's going to increase even more and what that means is so a student who graduates from a local high school and they attend a two-year institution or if they go to uncg i've got a couple of uncg students who come over in march with us or if they go to salem college those schools that don't have a marching band um, i allow them to come in march they are able to travel with us they are completely a part of the program the only thing they don't have is the student id from wake forest and the student number um, but otherwise all aspects of the program they are a part of that and that has really helped us to increase our numbers over the years and it's it's also a thing that's growing for us too and i there's another institution that's very similar to us, and that's Vanderbilt. Yeah, and that's good. yeah. Vanderbilt's program is the same way. Uh, I think I don't don't quote me on this, obviously, but I think they're kind of like a 50 50 half half shared experience, half uh, Vandy students. Hmm. Um, yeah, I, mean, I don't know that. I don't know the numbers on that. Yeah, I. Um, oh, Doug told me back in the fall because we did a, a halftime show with them when we traveled to Vanderbilt, but hmm. it's it's somewhere a, around that and. I'm I'm hoping that as not only our enrollment of Wake students increases in the band, but also our shared experience increases too, because that helps us to offset some of the challenges that we have. Because we're no different than Florida State or you know my alma mater or where you are right now. Yeah. We have the same number of football games. Um, you know, we both saw each other at the bowl game this past yeah. year. And we have the same number of basketball games. We all have postseason basketball. Um, so we we have all those same responsibilities. One of the things that's a little different is we we don't have a band at every volleyball game. Mm-hmm. I, I think this past year we did maybe three volleyball games. Yeah. And we send over 10 to 12 people, and that's perfect for where our team plays. Mm-hmm. And they fill the they fill the room. It's great, and everybody loves it. And is as that Reynolds Gymnasium, is that where they're doing that? That's Reynolds, yeah. Yeah. That yeah. is a that is a that is a gymnasium. They they are they do not very much so. Yes. Yeah. Well, you it, know, it's weird when they used to a lot of the women's basketball games when I was there used to be in that facility. And and like they were there and in Lawrence Joel. And I way more enjoyed the, the games in the gymnasium because it was like we could fill the place. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't experienced any basketball there um, yeah. since I've been here. Everything's been over at the Coliseum. So, yeah, but we we have great relationship with all of our coaches in athletics and um, in the athletic department. John Curry, our AD, absolutely, you know, just supports us with, with everything that we anything, anything we need or anything that we're wanting um, that, you know, obviously it's within reason. They, I haven't gotten a personal jet or anything for the band, but, but anything within reason. Yeah. They, they're so supportive of us, um, you know, for the bowl game this year, they flew us down and flew us back so that we could be back home with yeah. families for the holidays. Yeah. yeah. It's great. It's a great place to work. It does have its challenges, but I think the positives definitely outweigh the challenges that we face. Where where does the band numbers wise typically end up being? 
usually since I've been here and what I, and it's, it's kind of tough because when I got here, we went into the COVID year. Right. So this past year was my first, what I would consider to be a normal year. Yeah. So finally, I feel like we're, we're starting to figure out what's, what's the norm. Um, when I came in, the numbers were in the mid sixties, I believe. Yeah. And they've kind of fluctuated around there. Um, a little, probably more between 65 and 70. Um, I know the numbers used to be much higher. And what's really exciting to me right now, and I was actually emailing and, and sharing this with some people earlier today, is that where we are right now, which is, uh, you know, early, still early sort of May for recruiting, we're at 66. We have one more member currently than we had on the field for our last home football game with over six weeks left of recruiting for us before we close our registration. Yeah. So. I'm I'm beyond excited. Our our sophomore class has a very large number. Awesome. Our incoming freshman class is much higher than where it was last year. So I think we're we're able to kind of come out of the the pandemic in a in a positive way, and we're we're working towards getting those numbers um, from being around 65 to 70 up to hopefully 80 next year for the yeah. fall. And then um, with our senior class size, I'm hoping that we'll be at around 100 in two years. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. And I think that's a good number for us, for our, our size institution. I mean, that, that would be the, the 2% rule at that point. So yeah. yeah, it would be good. And it's, it's challenging. It's, you know, we're very similar to Duke also. Mm-hmm. Duke and I think is somewhere around. The less said about this topic, the better, but keep, yeah, keep going, keep going. Sure. Sure. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. But yeah, I think we're around like a hundred, 110. Um, mm-hmm. Their undergraduate school is a little larger than ours. Not much, but um so that's kind of, I think, the goal and the model between them and Vanderbilt being being able to be a little larger and closer to those sizes. What happened with and how did you all have to manage the pandemic stuff? Oh, it's a great question. It was very challenging in that, you know, there were these studies that were coming out. Um, so Mark Speed was a part of one of those studies that, you know, it was the aerosol study. And all the information that was coming out is was great and it was able to help a lot of people. But at Wake, we have an epidemiology program and we have epidemiologists through mm-hmm. the School of Medicine and through Wake Baptist. So what we had to work with was what our epidemiologists were telling us. And we were able to be outside. We were able to play. Mm-hmm. The challenging part was that we were not doing six feet apart like most. We were doing 10 feet apart. Mm-hmm. And the first hour that we were playing outside, I was internally panicking because, as you can imagine, the phasing across that was just very difficult. Yeah. And it, it took a couple hours and we were able to start the ears to started to open. They were listening. They were understanding on based on where you were on the field, if you how to anticipate to be able to be in time. Right. And um, we were not able to do any marching. But we were able to play for the, I think we had four home football games that year that actually went all the way through. Uh, We were supposed to do a little bit more, but schedules kept changing and fluctuating. Um, What we had to do at the stadium was we were on the hill in the stadium. And if you've never seen the hill, it's very steep. And our students were standing on it for a football game. Right three and a half hours and it was tough for them. Um, but they were, they were, they were absolutely great with it. And we were also fortunate 
we were on ESPN Game Day. So we opened ESPN Game Day that season. Mm-hmm. That was also very, it, it was it was scary for me. And I've never really said this out loud too much. And I don't mind now. Mm-hmm. I was so nervous of what we were doing because I was afraid of how people were going to respond. Okay, like, okay, great. Why are you doing this? Why did you not do this? And yeah. the feedback that would potentially come from that had me very nervous. And it was great. We we did receive a bunch of feedback from that day and from that game. And it was all positive and very supportive. So it, it was a tough fall for us, um, but we made it work. And the students were great. Our numbers dropped a little bit. We couldn't have the shared experience students on campus because of the, the testing that we were doing and what we were... We were um, the like the morning. I'm sure a lot of people had the morning quiz you had to fill out on an app before you could come on the campus. But in the, and they did lock down campus too. Um, you had to scan your card to come on. Uh, guests were not allowed. We had to uh, get permission for guests to come. And um, for basketball, we were able to play. We didn't have to do ten feet apart at that point because you know a few months had gone by and some things had changed. And then coming out of that. Um, into the following year, things went back to normal for the most part. Um, and Wake was, we were very fortunate. We we never shut down the university during that 2021 year. We were nervous a few times because our, our numbers really spiked, yeah. but we were able to, to make it happen. And all of our ensembles kept playing. It was weird. It was different, but we made it work. You didn't have any stipulations with basketball band that fall 20, spring 21? We we did. We were just able to get back a little closer to like four to six feet apart. Okay. Yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. Now, the thing that was interesting, this was, I think the whole, I don't know if the entire ACC did it this way, but I know for what we did, because we, we had some fans that were at the games, but they were mm-hmm. not allowed on the lower bowl. Yep. So mm-hmm. they, they blocked the entire low, lower bowl. So you're not around any of the players and, and they, you know, they protected that. So yeah. we were in the upper deck. But we were able to play. We were there. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we were still doing the, the musician's mask. Yeah. Um, and, and really what we ended up doing uh, per the epidemiologist's guidelines is we just pulled the mask down. They played and pulled it up as soon as they were they right. were finished. Yeah. And so, you had the um, the screens on the end of the bells of the horn. Yeah, we, we did the bell covers. Um, yeah. And some of that has actually stuck with us. We're still doing yeah. a little bit of that because it's it's kind of, especially for sousaphones, we went yeah. with a bell cover and... You know, we we've taken them off the clarinets and right. the trumpets, but yeah, but some of our low brass still use them. Yeah, how much of what your job is gets to be classroom stuff? Is it like do they go percentage? I know some of this is probably going to change, but like, is it like do you have percentage? Do they? Is there an expectation for you in your job to do research, or is this just purely a teaching position? So Wake is uh, Wake Forest is, has two models of of professors, yeah. and so they have the tenure track, and then they have the non tenure track. And non tenure track, um, it, it's Wake has got a really good model in that they call them uh, like assistant or associate or uh, just teaching professors. Mm-hmm. And I'm an I'm an assistant teaching professor, and yeah. so I'm not on a tenure track. The tenure track, obviously, they have to research because that's a you know it's a very significant part of what they do. Yeah. The position that I'm in, Wake really values great teaching. Yeah. And that makes sense with the type of academic institution it is. Mm-hmm. So I'm not required to do research. I, you know, obviously doing professional development, they want me to do that. 
if I'm giving professional development, that's great too, because that's considered a part of my teaching and in service to the profession, to the, the community of what I do. But I don't have any, any specific research requirements. Um, I still do stuff and I still will want to continue to do stuff. I'm actually with having an assistant director coming in in July, it's going to make it where I can kind of get back to doing a little more of the academic scholarly type things as well. Outside of that, it's really just really for my position, it's about being a great teacher. That's what they're they're looking for. A lot of things when you were telling me about kind of the athletic bands portion, it, it does. I mean, obviously, the first thought of was Vanderbilt um, yeah. within the SEC has got a similar situation. They have a similar uh, size of band discrepancy between them and, you know, everyone else in the conference. And I mean, and, and it's weird because Wake is frequently is like those are basically the same in a lot of ways, the same school, just in different cities. Yes. Yeah, and our new president, Dr. Wenty, came yeah. from so yeah, nice. very very closely uh, related. Even the black and gold is the same. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and oddly <laughs> enough, they play their band played with us um, for our homecoming halftime. Oh. They, we only because we only do like one song for that because they there's so much homecoming stuff. Yeah. So, but yeah, their band was on the field with us for that game, which is kind of fun. Nice. And so the homecoming stuff has changed. We we almost can do a full halftime show now. Mm. It's very quick. They this past year they put the homecoming court in the end zone. Yeah. Did the, the announcements? Did the re, like the read through all that? And we were on the field doing back halftime. to band. Yep. Yeah, that's it, great. It, it goes it goes very quick. Yeah. <laughs> you were like you sneezed and you're like oh they're done okay on the pretty much <laughs> yeah yep and it works because you know we can come on the field and get set and do our thing and they're still in the end zone and they're walking off taking pictures and we're performing yeah it's yeah. great yeah w- they would definitely not do that at, at Mizzou <laughs> we they go to the middle of the field we, yeah. we support the ways they do yeah the whole thing they did that my first year and and I think honestly COVID just kind of reset. Sure. So many things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, Tim, let's back up. Where did you grow up? So right outside of Greenville, North Carolina, mm. in a small town um, by the name of Grifton. Okay. And not many people will have ever heard of it. So I often tell people, oh, I'm from the Greenville area. Sure. Um, sure, yeah. So it's in eastern North Carolina. And mm. uh, I, I went to a high school there, sort of a, a very uh, rural community. Mm-hmm. And played in bands. Um, I played trumpet. I was also I did a lot of um, drum set. Drum mm-hmm. set was my my avenue into the percussion world. Yeah, yeah. I my my goal growing up was I was in band. I loved it. I played some sports. Yeah. But I was the person who would come home every day and put on the records or tapes at the time yeah. and and play drum set for two three hours every afternoon. Yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. I had supportive parents. They they'd rather hear the drum set than the trumpet. Oh, sure. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. yeah. That's that's something we say on this podcast. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um so did you have any family members in the arts? I did not. None. So what was your first foray into percussion then? So my eighth grade year, I well, let's back up a little bit. In sixth grade, I wanted to do percussion and yeah. I was encouraged to take up trumpet. Okay. I, I played trumpet through middle school, all the way through high school as well. Um, but in eighth grade, I received a drum set for Christmas. 
And it, it was from there, I just I started taking private lessons, started playing, started playing in bands, doing the garage band thing. Mm-hmm. Um, then my senior year, uh, we had some buddies. With, we had a Christian rock band. Mm-hmm. We were traveling on the weekends, playing oh, yeah. around the, the, the North Carolina region. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so my my goal was to, to move to Nashville. That's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be mm-hmm. a uh, country drummer or... Christian rock drummer. And this was, yeah. you know, back in the late nineties, kind of when the Christian rock this is prime time. Christian yeah. rock <laughs> Christian rock was huge in the late nineties. So yeah. yeah. What was the name of the band that you were in? Um, so the, the first group that I was in was D O M. It was, it stood for dead old man. Okay. Yeah. yeah it, it was a high school name. So <laughs> this, this is not a Christian rock band. It was a Christian rock band. I'm sorry, it was, yeah, it was a Christian corrected. rock band. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it, it was the whole, like, you know, they were saying, you know, when you become a Christian, your old self, that that was kind of, uh, oh. yeah. Yes. Um, and then, I mean, I... And, I was, well, no, here's the thing, Tim. You yeah. can just, that you could just take that name and become a speed metal band and have True. the same name and you could just, you just switch gigs, whatever, whatever the venue. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, um, I, I think I still have the T-shirt. I'll have to nice. see a picture of it. <laughs> yeah, it's got our pictures on the on the back of it with the the DOM on the front. Yeah, I'll I'll send you a picture of it. That's awesome. <laughs> I don't I don't have many things from that era of my life, but I have that. So, so what? what and you, there were other band names or bands that, at the time you were in. Yeah, well, so. I didn't really want to do the college thing. I wanted to play my instrument and I took some, I went to like the community college and took some classes and ended up joining another group playing percussion for, um, and then eventually doing some drum set with them, uh, a group called Zacchaeus tree, which is also another perfect, like Christian rock band name. Yeah. Yeah. We did that for, uh, I was with them for a year and had a, had a lot of great opportunities. It was a much more, um, higher profile group and you know we were doing a lot of headlining like things for us but then also you know we were playing other places where larger acts would come in and we were kind of the pre-entertainment that kind of um so it was it was a lot of fun i got to do a lot of cool things and then i joined a a country group then i was the youngest one in the country band by 20 years Okay. Yep. Uh, I was going to say 40, maybe, but uh, 20 is good. Yeah. 20. Yeah. 20. Well, felt like 40. So, funny enough, I was uh, this time, I would have been probably 19 or 20. Yeah. And the singer was in his 70s. Nice. Um, and he was also a senator here in North Carolina at the time. <laughs> All right. yeah. So, I got to play a lot of, uh, for, for a couple of years, I played a lot of fun venues, would play like, the moose uh the moose lodge or those kinds of things um then we played a show where we were the the entertainment uh right before lee greenwood went on oh, well, yeah. um, uh-huh. so stuff like that and then I, I i played the north carolina poultry festival one year as one does yes yes a, a, yeah. a straight marimba gig if i've ever heard uh, absolutely absolutely yeah. so i did that for a little while and got a got a very different experience um a lot of dances a lot hmm. of a lot of dances. Yeah. yeah. I definitely uh, can, you know, I've got a great train beat. I've done a lot of uh, two steps. My, my yeah. country is great. <laughs> so right, so your country that. waltz is probably pretty solid. I would imagine. Pretty solid as well. Yeah. 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 Nice. All that. 
So during that time, I had made some friends that were in Nashville and all of them encouraged me to go to school. And I didn't know what school was going to be like for me. So I started taking percussion lessons. Um, I ended up going to Wayne Community College in Goldsboro. Um, I earned an associate's degree in music from there. Not many people know that. It was just something I was doing while trying to play in multiple groups three or four nights a week, make make income. Started taking concert percussion lessons. uh, With there, Uh, it was there, but my lessons ended up being at East Carolina University. uh, Okay, they through an adjunct position. Got to know uh, Jonathan Lada. I don't know if you knew him or not. Um, That's more by name. I didn't know him personally. Yeah, yeah. He was. He taught me for a year, and then uh, Dr. Wacker, Jonathan Wacker, who was there, East Carolina, recently retired. He Hmm. he for a year. So then, you know, just through the the way life just kind of happens, um, I actually ended up at UNC Pembroke with Tracy mm-hmm. Wiggins. Yeah. And I started there in January of 04, and he took me to UNC Greensboro that semester for the NCPP, the National Conference yeah. of Pedagogy. Yeah. And, you know, it was really interesting because I remember this very well. Um, I was on a student panel mm-hmm. and now I look back and I'm like, oh, wow, I cannot believe I did that. I had a moment of panic the first time someone asked me a question. Oh. I was sitting there looking at all of these people that I've read about, seen at PASIC, and mm-hmm. it was just like, uh, I don't know what to say. I didn't, I didn't say that out loud. Actually, I just didn't say anything for about five seconds. It was really awkward. Uh-huh. And then finally, you know, I, I got over and started talking. Um, but it was, it was a great experience to, to meet people, to be there and see all of that. I ended up transferring to UNC Greensboro where I I finished my degree. Tracy Wiggins is a good friend and dear friend. And he's still very, very kind to me because I, I transferred and I felt bad for transferring, but I ended up going back to UNC Pembroke later when I was teaching high school and I got my master's from there and Continued to do some work with Tracy um, through that as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's actually, Tracy's the reason that I went to the University of Alabama for my doctorate. He was telling me about Tuscaloosa, telling me about the institution. Yeah. Uh, his father-in-law was there in education on the school board. Um, so that's where his wife is from. Tracy's one I owe a lot to. And I not only just, you know, musical education, but also just life advice and kindness and showing grace of when I transferred and still letting me come back. And that's kind of the, the journey of how I ended up doing the, uh, the doctorate and slowly getting into higher ed. Well, okay. So let's back up. So before we get to the, that part of the journey in high school, were you part of the band program at your high school? I was. Okay. Yep. Play, was that trumpet or percussion? It, so it was trumpet for marching band and um, for concert band. I tried in middle and in high school to switch to percussion, and I never was given the green light. Mm. Then one day, uh, my band director heard me play drum set. But all of a sudden, I got the green light for playing drum set in pep band. Mm. And I played drum set in jazz band. And um, that was kind of my opportunity for percussion while I was in high school. Never got to do the, the concert percussion side you just hadn't had any experience with it. It wasn't like you could read music because you were doing trumpet. Right. But you just weren't. Yep. The chance. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I would have happily switched. But, you know, like I said earlier, I'm, I'm a firm believer that things just happen and your, your path takes you kind of down where you're supposed to be. Obviously, you know, you can go different directions, but I, I wouldn't go back and change anything. I'm happy with the way things have turned out. It's oh, great. Yeah. You said also you were playing sports in high school. I did. I played baseball. Um, I played through my sophomore year. I did play football my first year. Mm-hmm. And um, I love watching football. I'm, I'm not an aggressive person. Yeah. So for football, it was, I didn't like getting hit. <laughs> and <laughs> Which is a problem, it turns out. It, it's a problem. Yeah. And I remember very clearly there was a day where we were uh, scrimmaging and sometimes the JV and the varsity would scrimmage. And I just got laid out. And I was like, you know, this is not for me. As you're looking up at the sky, like, yeah, let's do something else. Yep. And, and I still, I, I loved it. I did. Um, I just, that was a day where I was like, you know what? I'm good. And, and I was a, a decent baseball player. I was a really good uh, catcher. And hmm. what was interesting was that I had tendonitis in my, my right arm, my throwing arm. Yeah. Um, it never impacts me ever when I played drums. And it didn't then. But I'd come home from practice every day and put my um, elbow in a bucket of ice water twice a night. Yeah. And I, I was fortunate as a sophomore. I was a starting catcher and the, on the varsity team. And yeah, I mean, I, I was I was decent. And I just got tired of putting my elbow in ice water every night. Yeah. So. And your knees managed all right? I guess only the, it wasn't too many years of catching. The, the knees were fine. I, yeah. and, I, and I did it in middle school as well. The knees were fine. Um, not so much now. I can definitely, um, I can, I can squat down to get in that catching position and it, they, it's, yeah, good old knee cracks. <laughs> <laughs> yep. What was your hitting game? Who, who, do you have a modern comparison or an at the time comparison as your? Japan. Oh, no, no, I, oh, that's, oh, that was so long ago. No, I don't know that I would have a modern comparison. Um, like, but fine, Mike Piazza, you know, sure, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I did have, I did have a, a hero for catching. Um, uh, Carlton Fisk was definitely, yeah. that was my person. I, I wanted to be Carlton Fisk. So, yeah. Nice. When you're p- doing all of the playing, the, the drum set playing, and you're playing with all these groups, did it hit a point where you said, okay, I don't, I don't know if this is going to actually go much further than I'm at right now. You know, honestly, I think it could have gone further than okay. where I stopped. So even, even at UNC Greensboro, you know, when I was uh, dating my, my wife now, but girlfriend at the time, we had talked about me maybe going to Tennessee to do a master's in percussion performance. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, just doing something and, and moving to Nashville. Yeah. But what happened for me was I, I taught at a summer band camp. And at UNCG? Still, no, it wasn't at UNCG. It was actually like a, a marching band camp at a, a high school. It was Clinton High School in uh, Eastern North Carolina. Yep. John Lowe had hired me to come in. He was the band director at the time. Mm-hmm. And he, uh, I was teaching front ensemble. Um, I didn't really have the, the battery percussion chops and experience yeah. so i was doing the front ensemble and i just remember the the connection that i had with the students during that week was it was something i never really experienced you know working with a group seeing how much fun they were having 
that light bulb effect when they would get things, the, you know, the banter, the, the picking back and forth, just that overall like sense of um, just, they had fun. They were having a blast being there. And that was kind of the light bulb for me also as an educator. And that was the first time I ever thought, Oh, I might actually like this teaching thing. And, and teaching in the band side. On like. the band side, yeah. yeah. Um, and still, to, it's funny. If, if you were to, to see Jennifer Walter, who was my uh, instrumental music ad professor, she probably would still tell you he did not want to be a band director. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, if, if anything, I was going to go be a percussion specialist in a high school band program. Yeah. Um, and then I ended up, I graduated and ended up teaching middle school band. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the job that I took. Had a great time. Then I moved to a high school. And I think when I moved to the high school, I was still gigging. I was still playing in bands on the weekends. It's still a part of what I do now. I don't I don't gig as much, but I still play and everything's still set up and sure. all of that. So I, I could go down and do it in the garage tonight. But so when I started teaching high school, there was just this completely different. I don't even know how to describe it, honestly. It was just the it was a, a different thing being a part of that aspect of music and music making and not only that but mentoring being a part of um you know creating leadership programs and high school bands um and that's something i've always been really good at is, is the, the positive the positive aspect of things yeah. uh, which is funny because i'm a very sarcastic person by nature yeah but i'm i'm more on the sarcastic kind of make little comments that get a chuckle i'm yeah. not on the sarcastic pointed side the positive thing that the culture shift that I saw in my high school students mm-hmm. really inspired me to keep going and to keep pursuing. And then I had an opportunity to teach adjunct at Mount Olive College at the time. Mm. If you're not familiar with Mount Olive College, it's now the University of Mount Olive. <laughs> they make the uh, famous Mount Olive pickles. Mm-hmm. And the pickle plant is on the corner of cucumber and vine. As uh, of course, as it should be. Yes. Um, So doing that and working with college students uh, was, it was, it just, I feel like the scaffolding just kept stacking things, just moving me in a different direction. And, you know, I still love to play. I still do more. I'd probably do more concert percussion now than I do drum set, Mm -hmm. Um, but I still play drum set and, and, you know, I'll play at a church or something like that. I'll get hired for those kinds of things. And, yeah. It's great. It's it's enough that I get to go do it, and then I get to go back and be with my family and get to do my other day job that I do. And I I feel like I'm a very fortunate person who has the best of both worlds right now. You start taking you start at the um, the community college, right? Mm-hmm. What is the facility like? What what was? Tell me a little bit about lessons there. Sure. Well, so all the lessons were for me were. Over, actually in Greenville um, at East Carolina because they didn't have a percussion instructor at the community college or in the, the city that they wanted to hire. Yeah, yeah. Several of us would go over to East Carolina and take lessons, like one of the guitar students did as well. Yeah. Um, so the the college, you know, the, the typical band room, uh, ensemble room, because there was also a choir that used the room as well. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, your, your typical place was nice. Um, Great facilities, uh, computer lab, decent, um, or piano computer lab, decent equipment. Um, it was definitely something that, it was a positive experience for me. Um, 
And I think who I was and what I was looking for at that time, I think it was, it met me right where I was and kind of pushed me in the direction I needed to be in. Yeah. I, I was a student who in high school, I, I always had a modern copy of modern drummer magazine in my backpack. You know, everyone else, we'd get free time and everyone else would pull out a book. And I'm like, oh, man, look at this new DW snare drum. This is awesome. I wanted this. Like, I'm putting on my wish list, you know. Uh-huh, yeah. I didn't know such and such use those hi-hats. Um, I was that that kid. And uh, you know, all the Iron Maiden drum set trans- transcriptions, you're like, yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Yep. <laughs> so, and, you know, I still remember um, a good buddy of mine. We, I think we still have the tapes somewhere, these VHS VHS tapes. He was a drumming friend and, and you know, like Woodstock 99. Mm-hmm. We bought Woodstock on uh, pay-per-view and we sat and we recorded it and watched it and watched it over and over and over mm-hmm. again. Yeah, I mean, that's where I'd spend my Friday nights and Saturday nights. If I wasn't playing, I was at home watching a band or practicing. That's yeah. it. <laughs> Rewatching the Woodstock 99 would be, get, seems like it would go to a very dark place. <laughs> to where yeah. that ends up. <laughs> yeah, I, so I kind of had forgotten about some of that until I watched a, a documentary on that Woodstock not too long ago. And I was like, oh, yeah. I forgot how bad that got. <laughs> I mean, it yeah. was, yeah, it got pretty rough. Pretty bad, yeah. 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 Glad I was watching on TV and not there, so. Yeah, yes, yes. Because you're taking at ECU, like, I mean, not necessarily with them, but through the school, or do you have any connection to ECU at the time? Or is it just... You're using their facility? Uh, just using the facility. I would go over for my lesson and that was it. How do you get connected to Pembroke? It's funny. I don't really remember exactly where I saw any kind of advertisement or anything. Mm-hmm. But I do remember at the time, UNC Pembroke was advertising everywhere. Mm-hmm. And, and did so for a while. And, and they still may be. I'm, I'm just not on that side of the state as, as frequently as I used to be. I, I just remember I looked at a couple of different schools initially, and the two that I really were focused on at the beginning were UNC Wilmington mm-hmm. and, and um, UNC Pembroke. Yeah, so I went down, I met with John Rack at, at UNC Wilmington, and then I went and visited with Tracy Wiggins, mm-hmm. and it, it just felt right when I went to UNC Pembroke. Yeah, I had a great experience with him, and you know, as I've said. I really owe him a lot. He's definitely kind of been in my life when I needed someone to put me in a direction. And and he definitely has been there for that. How long were you at Pembroke? I was only there for a semester the first time. And I I transferred to UNC Greensboro. You know, you've seen that facility. I went there. I was um, mesmerized. And yeah. It was massive, all this equipment, so many people, um, great vibe. It just, it, it for me, it was a no-brainer. And yeah. audition, and and um, Dr. McLaren accepted me and was like, welcome to UNC Greensboro. And I'm like, whoa. I just, I didn't, you know, I, I never had expected that to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it just, everything just kind of fell in place. <laughs> I learned a very valuable lesson when I transferred um, about communication to teachers Mm. So, and which is why I'm even more grateful that Tracy Wiggins is still a good friend. You, you, and I'm going to say, I'm going to guess that the communication was do a better job of letting Tracy know yes. that you are not coming back. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> yep. You are absolutely correct. Um, 
So, which is funny because, you know, now I, well, it's not really funny, but now it, it was a tool for me too mm. as a teacher, because now when I, I, I don't hear from students, I, I know where, how they feel, how yeah. they're afraid to let us down or afraid to yeah. tell us, Yep. which is why I always try to tell my students, like, look, just let me know. I don't care. Yeah. You're not yes. coming back. That's, that's, I hate it. I don't want to lose you, but just let me know. Yep. So he's got a lot of grace. <laughs> so. <laughs> When did, just curious, like, when did, when did you kind of like reconnect, I guess, later with him? Ooh, so that was summer of 2004 when I transferred. And then I started uh, my master's with him after I had graduated. I was teaching high school, 2008, I think. Yep. Yeah, I was a little nervous to send that email. Yeah, Um, yeah. But he, hey man, do you you, you remember me? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But no, he yeah. was he was so kind and and yeah, very very supportive. Yeah. How long did it was you two years at UNCG? Three in a semester because I ended up doing my student teaching mm. um, the fall of two thousand mm. and seven. Uh, and UNCG. So the the thing that's interesting about a community college or a technical institution when you graduate with an associate's degree north carolina has this program where you get accepted to an, a state school and you go in as a junior yeah. well, you do, you do go in as a junior it just doesn't mean any of those credits actually apply towards your major yes so i uh, ended up taking 3 years of classes to be able to finish you know it's funny i was trying to remember I think that's a that's when I, you and I met. At yeah. some point, I was gone by then. I had, I had graduated in two thousand three, but like probably through NCPP because I was always involved in that. Yep. May have been, but I kind of I feel like I kind of remember a discussion. Let me know if you remember this too. That sure. I think because you were because we we were talking and I think you were just frustrated, on, honest like understandably so about the lack of transfer of stuff. Mm, yeah. Does that sound right? Yeah, that definitely. Yeah, that sounds right. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I, I don't know that I have much to comment. I just remember kind of like this being one of the first times that it was like, man, I just have to like take all these classes again. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I, I can totally see that. I was, I was caught off guard. I, sure. I, think it's the best way. I wasn't necessarily frustrated or anything. It was just more of a, Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. This is not what they told me three years three years ago or however long ago it was when I had started doing that. So, right. but it's yeah. okay. I mean, I I learned a ton when I was mm-hmm. there, and going through the music education program there was absolutely outstanding. Rebecca McLeod came in when I was there, and she and Jennifer Walter were just beyond helpful, supportive, uh, informative. Yeah. Just really, I mean, taught me so much about teaching. Were you doing the, um, were you with John Locke and the other band stuff? So this is another interesting part of my my story in that I was not in wind ensemble. Mm. Uh, I When I got into concert percussion, I really enjoyed the orchestra side mm. of things. So yeah. I ended up playing in the orchestra my last two years there. I was in symphonic band with, uh, I think it was Jim Smizek, who was running the symphonic band at that time. He was doing his doctorate at UNCG. Mm-hmm. And um, and conducting, and then I ended up in uh, in Guter's uh, Guter Orchestra, yeah, Robert Guter, Robert Guter, oh, yeah, yeah, probably a name you haven't heard in a while. <laughs> <laughs> wow, 
Wow. There's like, it's like, it's like so many memories <laughs> in yeah. so many different directions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He was a, he was a fascinating. Yeah. yeah. He was, he was, you know, I would almost say like in some ways kind of like a, I would, I hate to use like a typical old school orchestral director character, but that's yeah. like kind of what he was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. With, with a uh, lots of eccentricities that were, um, not cool. And, uh, <laughs> though I, I actually I did enjoy playing in his ensemble. Yeah, like he, I like the I like the orchestra experience generally. Yeah. yeah, he was a wonderful musician. Yeah, I mean, just and he knew so much stuff. Yeah. yeah, and you know just talking with him. I, so I took conducting classes with him. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it, I mean, it was it was wonderful. I, yeah. I very much enjoyed my time with him. I, I do wish, especially with my career now, I kind of wish I had been in wind ensemble. Yeah, but sure. It, it's fine. I mean, I, I I caught up on all the literature. It was okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, I have yeah. the directing band through literature series. Yeah, I know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> what was the per, like the percussion part of it? Since it's, I mean, it must have been wild to go from like a Pembroke. <laughs> Yeah, to this giant program that has like literally everything at their at its disposal and sure. grad students and like yeah you know, all that stuff. Yeah, I mean it was um, I mean it was a, a huge culture shock in a way because at, at Pembroke there were I don't know seven in the studio. Yeah, something like that. I mean, and I may be off base a little bit, but I think we had thirty five at UNCG when I was doing my undergrad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was um, it was a very very different experience because in that one semester that I was at Pembroke, I played in the orchestra. I played timpani for that. I played in the, the wind ensemble. I played in the musical. I was in the percussion ensemble. Mm-hmm. And then when I got to UNC Greensboro, it was you're in a band for this first semester and you're in the percussion ensemble. Yeah. That's, that's it. it. Yep. Yeah. So from that side of it, it was like, okay, that's a little different. But, you know, it, it, it was a different experience. And um, it was really great because I met so many people and learned from so many different people. Yeah. And that, that part of it, I, I did really enjoy. Yeah. 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 I don't know how many are still in music that w- I was in school with. Um, I see a few here and there, but. Mm-hmm. Not- was, was Mike Lasley was there? Was he doing his, 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 was he a grad student at that point? Yeah. Mike was there. Michael Patassin was there. Yep. Andrew was there. Yeah. Uh, John and Keeney was there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Lasley, Patassin, Andrew were all undergrads. Okay. I was there. Um, I think Mike Lasley had gone, had taught for a bit and then came back after I'd left. Okay. John was there. I think the first, I think John's master's was with my doctorate. Okay. And then he did the doctor. He did mo- a, a good bit of the doctorate. Yeah. So were you in school with Nathan or was that before you got I there? Was, he and I were together the whole time. Okay. Master's okay. and doctorate. Nice. Yeah. And okay. Jeff was there at, with, um, Calissi was there for, for me, he came in during my doctorate, but he did it. That was at the, in, during his master's. And then he continued. Okay. Okay. Cause I think when I was at UNCG, I feel like Jeff was, was he teaching at A&T? Yes. Okay. All right. So I do remember that correctly. Okay. Yeah, yeah. He finished his coursework in 2004, I think, and then 
Tick A and T was doing was finishing up. I, I believe is is what that was. Okay. Yeah. When you finish up, what's you go teach first, right? Yes. Okay. So where do you and where do you do that? When I resume my student teaching, I decided if I was going to teach and be a band director that I was going to do middle school band. Okay. That seemed like the the logical thing for me to do. Um, I enjoyed that age group. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed working with those students. Um, I was at Cronodal Middle School with Kyle Allman and had a great experience. Okay. And it also, you know, when I graduated, I had an opportunity to take two jobs, either a middle school job replacing someone who was retiring in, in mid-year yeah. or an elementary music job. And I chose the, the middle school band position. And I also, in my mind, thought, well, if I choose the middle school band position, I can gig at night and on the weekends. <laughs> so that was just kind of a, it was a no-brainer for me. And that was the plan. And then I started teaching at a middle school, but it was a part of a 612 school. So it was really, the name of it was Spring Creek High School, even though there was a middle school attached. Yeah. Now they're two separate schools. And the high school director, he left at the end of the year. And uh, at the time, my girlfriend, um, Samantha, was looking for a position. The high school opened and I went to the principal and was like, hey, I would be okay taking the high school if you know, I've got this friend that would be great for the middle school, just graduated. Mm-hmm. And he interviewed her and hired her. And then like months later, we were engaged and it was... Uh, it, it turned out to be, you know, a, a perfect situation because she ends up becoming my my middle school feeder and mm-hmm. helped yeah. me with the high school band. And, you know, she was a wonderful musician and an outstanding educator. Um, yeah. And we did that together for four years. Mm. And um, uh, so I was, was already there for half a year. And then I decided, OK, I'm going to go pursue a doctorate. Well, I thought if, okay, at the time it was going to be in music education and that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to train teachers. Yeah. So I decide, well, I think I should do middle school one more year. So I have that experience. And um, I went in and taught at another school. She left and went to a different middle school. And so we decided to leave at the same time. I realized very quickly going back to middle school after teaching high school was not what I should be doing. Yeah. Uh, it was a different experience, and um, I, I learned that at that point, the group of students that I needed to be teaching and working with were the older side. In high school, I could give them a list. All right, here, make sure this is on the trailer before we leave. Sure, and they, yeah. I couldn't check everything off, and we're good. Yeah, yeah. And I just I dealt with too much discipline when I was teaching middle school, and, and it just it wasn't for me. So, yeah. yeah. I didn't have a bad experience. It just, I knew I was supposed to be working with older students. And you, you and your, your wife were, were good as like colleagues in that way. Yeah. Yeah. It it was actually perfect because so she and I both taught band and chorus or choir. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And the, the choir room was um, an educational cottage as I would call it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, basically, you know, a, a double wide trailer in the back of the school. Sure. Uh, so if I was in the band room, she was in the choir room. And if I was in the choir room, she was in the band room. So yeah. we really never um, overlapped. Uh, I think my planning period overlapped with one of her sixth grade classes. Yeah. But, you know, I shut the door, let her do her job. And, you know, I, that was it. It was great. Yeah, it was it was a really good experience. And having an opportunity to carpool it was great. Yeah. 
So, and I also had help all the time for high school. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Is it, it's during then that you're doing the master's or you do it after? Uh, during that time, I started doing my master's, um, doing it part-time, traveling at night, doing a couple online classes, but then traveling to Pembroke one or two nights a week to do stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, during that time, I took the adjunct job uh, right there at the end um, when I was almost finished with my master's. And when I was at Mount Olive, I was teaching some percussion lessons, taught the percussion ensemble, uh, ran the jazz band one semester. I taught an instrumental music methods course. And this was after I had finished my my master's. And so it was basically students who, the students that were in the class were vocal students yeah. who wanted, you know, that part of their, their degree program was to take an instrumental music ed class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, going through that was kind of the moment when I was like, you know, this would be fun. I would love to do this mm-hmm. and do this full time. Um, so that's when I started looking at going back to school and getting the terminal degree and I'm very fortunate that I've been able to keep playing and I still play now, like even in the Piedmont Wind Symphony. Yeah, yeah. I don't have percussion performance degrees. So I've been very fortunate that I've been able to keep that part of my life active and and going. So yeah, but when I got to to Alabama, uh, I was there. I was uh, music ed GTA for the first year. I was on staff with the marching band with uh, Neil Flum. Mm -hmm. Had a great Great experience doing that. So I, I had a very key moment where I was taking a class with Ken Ozello, who is the director of bands there. And I was taking a history of the American Wind Band course. Okay. I love history and I'm very intrigued about the, the wind band history, wind music history. Mm-hmm. And taking this class, I, for the first time that maybe even ever, I just yeah. remember sitting there going, teach me more. Keep going. Keep, keep going. Keep going. I, I want to know more. Yeah. And that was just kind of, it was a moment that hooked me. Yeah. So that definitely sparked interest in maybe doing the music ed thing and also continuing to be a band director. Yeah. Um, and then I, I went to Dr. Ozello and asked, I know you've got uh, a band GTA position open next year. Uh, I would be very interested in applying for that if that would be okay. I, I would no longer be teaching or doing music ed courses. All of my teaching and all of my um, my hours would go to the band program. So both marching band, pep band, concert band, all of that. So that's where I got my wind ensemble experience also. I was playing mm-hmm. in the ensemble with Ken. He came down, I remember very specific, he came down to the office where I had, which is basically like a, a practice room um, mm-hmm. with a desk in it. And he was like, hey, why do you want to do this, this position? Like, what, what, why is it important? And I told him, you know, everything that I wanted to do and why I was so interested in it. And he goes, okay. And then he emailed me and let me know I had it. And that was definitely the, the catalyst for me moving into the college band world. Continued to, to study with him. I, all my electives were conducting hours, uh, wind band lit classes, and then also doing lessons with Tim Feeney when he was, mm-hmm. he was the percussion instructor there. Yeah. And, and that was a very different experience because at UNCG, I felt like we kind of had a, a you know, very well-rounded overall approach to percussion. Mm-hmm. And Tim, his background, you know, not only does he have the, the contemporary side with so percussion, but his undergrad was in orchestral performance. He is so knowledgeable and so skilled 
I, I learned a ton of just concert skills from studying with him. And I mean, down to all the muffling techniques of the bass drum and all these different, that, and that's kind of where my, my love for the, you know, bass drum and cymbals and all those different instruments that not everyone else wants to play those parts. I love those parts because he taught me how to play them musically and it was great. It was a very good experience. What was the size of the marching band when you were there? I, if I remember correctly, my first year, it was 440. Okay. Yep. You know, not too big, uh, not too small. Yeah. Either. So, uh, gotcha. and then I think it was my second year. I remember them saying that the, the cap was going to have to be 400. And, and I that's that, what it's been since then. Yeah. I think that was a university cap or athletics yeah. cap. Yeah. So, I mean, as you know, when you travel with that, that many people, that's a lot of seats that the university is having to pay for. That's exa- yeah. I mean, because you were at Sanford when when Mizzou pl- played at Alabama, yeah, uh, twenty eighteen, and uh, I think you text you were like, "Why didn't you tell me you were here?" And I was like, "Well, hold on. here's the thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was there, <laughs> yep. but we were staying in Starkville and oh. bust in ah. and went to the game and then went immediately back to Starkville. <laughs> so that's how." much I was in Alabama. <laughs> yeah. No, I remember that. I remember those days of, you know, being on the, the those road trips and you're staying an hour, hour and a half away because fun in a hotel. That, 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 was a good, that was a good trip if you were only an hour and a half away. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We, we went to, we went to Georgia a few years ago and we were in Lookout, Lookout Mountain. Oh, wow. It's like, Three and a half hours away. And that was a night game. We, oh my God, that was such a long, I, I enjoyed the, I enjoyed the being in Georgia stadium. Yeah. That was such a long. <laughs> no, I, I can, I can, I can imagine. That's yeah. one of the stadiums I never got to go to. I, I didn't have that opportunity. To do what? To go to Georgia. I haven't. Oh. Now I feel like now I could probably email uh, Brad and be like, Hey, can I go hang out with a band? Sure. But, from the Alabama side, I never got to go. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was going to say about the the stadium. I know you know this is like, I mean, the band. You, it's in, it's a square in the stands, and there's like literally no space that is not being occupied in that square. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even for us, you know, we're not a massive band, and we'll go places. And my students are like, "Hey, we want to spread out to do like our visuals and stuff." And I'm like, "No, you can't." Because, yeah. you know, like for, for uh, Clemson, Clemson's great because they still put us down on the field. We're not up at the top like so many schools do. Yeah, yeah. And, but the space is so small that yeah. you know, everyone's like elbow to elbow. Mm-hmm. And then the, the big bass drum is like, uh, what do I do? Make it work. <laughs> yeah, make it work. <laughs> yep. yep. It's, it's, a, it's a tough problem. That's for sure. What was your um, finishing document at Alabama? My dissertation was on retention and it was on factors that influenced first year marching band members to return for a second year. Mm. Yeah, it was uh, perfect because at the time I was going through interviews and, you know, they're like, talk to us about like recruiting and retention. Well, let me tell you about my dissertation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, it was really good. And, and I still use some of those things now, like looking here, you know, my, my retention rate here this year was 97%. Awesome. I, yeah, I mean, we we just lost two that would have potentially been a returner who finished the season with us, and yeah, 
Um, and, you know, it's, it's really about making sure that we value their time and that, you know, we provide them the social aspect, the travel opportunities. And yep. they also love an opportunity to be able to make a little extra money with stipends and playing in pep band and all those different things. Those are like the, like the general th- things that, yeah. that were kind of, kind of um, came out of the research. Yeah, this, the social part of it was huge. Um, mm-hmm. Being able to continue to play your instrument was also a very uh, significant factor. Travel opportunities were very, um, very significant as well. The The tricky part about the study was that, you know, I did it at the University of Alabama right after they finished winning the national championship. So travel season for that year was a little different than, you know, the, the typical, even the typical SEC school. Yeah. Um, so, because we had been to, you know, the opening game was at the Dallas Cowboys Stadium. Mm-hmm. The Cotton Bowl was at the Dallas Cowboys Stadium. And then we yeah, yeah. ended up going to Arizona. So, and we flew on a, you know, 747. So they experienced a lot of things that not everyone would get to experience. But looking at what research has told us, and also even today at Wake, if I talk to my students about some of the things they love the most, it's the social aspect and the travel part. Yeah. It's huge for them. Literally almost no other school has that kind of travel experience. <laughs> like that Alabama's football team. Yeah. <laughs> so Yeah. I mean, and that was a, a thing that was great about the opportunities of being there. You know, um, mm-hmm. what I got to see in the three, three short years that I was there, you know, I've been fortunate here at wake when I got here, you know, our first bowl game was at uh, Yankee stadium for the pinstripe bowl. Right, yeah. That was amazing. You know, mm-hmm. it's a wonderful opportunity to perform on that field. And, you know, then we we went to the Gator Bowl and then we went to um, the Gasparilla Bowl. That one was different, but, you know, yes. we went to a bowl. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was a thing you and I did. Yes, that's the thing true. We did. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah. So that was that was fun. Yeah. <laughs> You're not done or you're ABD when you get the Stanford job? I, I am ABD and whew, I do not recommend starting a job if you're ABD. Don't yeah. do it. That first year, like I, I went into the job with all these promises that, oh, I'm going to be finished. Don't worry. I'll take care of it. And everyone yeah. just kind of very graciously smiled. <laughs> like, uh-huh. Like, uh-huh. Don't believe me? Yeah. So, uh Yeah. I finished the following November. I submitted the edited document. Yeah, uh, that was tough doing that and and teaching. Oh my goodness, that was one of the hardest things I've done. And you know, we also um, at that point in my life, my daughter was when I started that job. It was fall of sixteen, so my daughter was four. Um, my son was born in November, and I I think with my son being born that November, that definitely just. Once that happened, I was like, okay, I'm, I can't finish this. There's just no way. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, um, I was able to finish over the summer and then the first couple months of the next semester. Yeah. yeah. It was tough. What, was it that when you start the job, you're at a, are you still data collecting or was it like you were just, you just didn't have time to kind of tie everything together? I didn't have time to write and, and tie it all together. All the all the the data had been collected because um, I did that back in the spring before I took the job. Yeah, and I had it all. I mean, it was all in a file. It was ready to go. I'd even run most of the tests and had all that information. Yeah. Um, it was just a matter of sitting down and writing the document and putting it together. Yeah, and 
you know, on the music ad side, they they really want it to be set a certain way, presented a certain way. Yeah. And, you know, when you've got great teachers who are also wonderful researchers, they are going to make sure it's a project that you feel great about. They have a level that they will they have a level. Yep. You will you will not leave unless it's at that level. And it's one of those things. I, I know you know this now um, and you probably knew it then. But like those dissertations are a reflection of the people who are on the committee yeah. as much or sometimes even more than they're your thing necessarily. Yep. yep. Yeah. I, I didn't quite realize that as much until I got in that process. And yeah. then when I got in the process, I was like, okay, I get it. Uh, I understand. Yeah. You want me to feel great about my, my project, but you also want to feel good about me putting your name out on this. Yes. Yeah. I totally got to sign it. <laughs> Absolutely. And your position at Stan- Sanford was that, predicated on you being done with the doctorate in terms of um, a position level that it was at? Did it turn over into something else well, when you were done or was it the same so whole time you were there? That, no. I mean, when I was hired, the, the job description was for an assistant professor, tenure track. It was not doctorate finished. You didn't have to. It was, I was allowed to, to get hired and, and be in that track with the an ABD. They did end up during that first year bumping me back to lecturer because I hadn't finished. Yeah. That was also a little bit of a, a, a nudge to yeah, sure. pick it up. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they did, I was very fortunate. They did not dock pay or anything like that. They just took the title, which at the end of the day, okay, fine. Mm-hmm. It's done. I finished and I got the title back and yeah, was on the tenure track and, um, and, and my time at Samford was great. I love the, the institution. I love my colleagues. I love the students. It was, a, it was a wonderful place to be. Um, I really wasn't, you know, Jim Smizek was actually one of the directors there before I got there. Yeah. Um, Grant Dalton teaches percussion there. And I was working with Demondre Thurman and then Brian Walden, who used to be with the Navy band. He came in as a colleague. It was a great place, a great city. Um, but I was still living in Tuscaloosa and I was commuting an hour each way. And we had talked about moving to Birmingham. So that was kind of on the radar, but five jobs opened in North Carolina at one time. Yeah. And that's, it was one of those moments where it was like, okay, this is probably never going to happen again. Sure. And I'm, I'm a firm believer. If you, if you're offered, there's, you're being offered for a reason might not be the reason to go, but sure. somehow or another, there's some reason why you went through that process. So yeah, ended up getting the offer at Wake and and they presented what, you know, to me, I felt was great as, a, as far as a, a career move. Yeah, it was tough to leave Sanford. It was, it was a great place. I got to do a lot of it. When you get the offer, was there any part of you that said that you're like, okay, I have an offer from Wake. Is there, or like, can Sanford do anything? Were they trying to keep you or was it like, Listen, man, congratulations. Yeah. So that was, it was a, a listen, congratulations. Congratulations. We really appreciate all you did. Um, I, I had already used that opportunity. So, oh, okay. Yeah. But there was another. Yeah. Okay. I had been offered another job the, the previous year. It was the best of both worlds. So my dean understood and he was very supportive and was like, hey, if you need a reference ever again, you let me know. You're leaving on great terms. I absolutely love the work you did here. I wish you nothing but the best. And um, 
I mean, for me, it was, you know, the academic side. And also I got to go back to being in power five athletics. Yeah. I really enjoy that aspect of my job as well. So. Well, what explain a little bit about what was, what that meant at, at Sanford versus what it would mean at wake in terms of the being (laughs) in and out of a power five. Yeah, sure. Uh, so Sanford was in the Southern Conference, SoCon, and I mean it was it was a great experience. Um, I the football side was a little different because you know your games are earlier in the day, and yep. it's because of the the structure of the conference. It's it's a travel game, travel conference. So most people, you know, they couldn't. It, the money side is just different. They didn't do tons of hotels and and stuff like we do now. Um, and then the resources just aren't the same. And, you know, that the, part of that is, you know, the power five and the, the networks and all the other stuff that comes with that. Um, but it was, it was good. You know, I didn't have any postseason play. My season ended in November. Um, that part was, was kind of nice. I'll be honest. Um, yeah, yeah. I'll say that I did enjoy that. Uh, we didn't really travel to many games. Um, in the three years I was there, I took one road trip and I was one of the first times they had traveled in a while and we turned it into an overnight trip. And that was one of the first times that uh, they had done an overnight trip in a very long time. So how um, far away was it? Uh, Chattanooga. So only like four hours away. Mm-hmm. And um, we were playing UTC and it, it was a good time. We went and played at a high school and did some recruiting and that kind of thing. The okay. basketball side is a little different as well. Um, you know, a lot of their games are on ESPN plus. Mm-hmm. So it, it was just a different experience. The, were the men's and women's games on at this, like, would they be combined or was it like, no, two- it was, it was still separated. They were still doing um, two different games at two different times. Um, and um, you know, it's, it's a lot of basketball to, yeah. to do. I mean, I still do a lot here. Um, the tournament was great. It was at Asheville, North Carolina every year. So good travel opportunities. Students love doing that. But, you know, the, the difference really is at Stanford, I really enjoyed the academic side of what I got to do, the, the conducting side. I love the marching band side too, but you're, you're just viewed differently. And, and it wasn't necessarily a bad thing. It wasn't necessarily a, a positive, di- different kind of view. It just, I don't know, it just felt different. It felt like I was there. But here, I, I think the biggest difference is we're, we're at the table. I was not at the table when I was at Sanford with the marching band. Which, t- which table? The, the athletic table, the, the being a part of, of, the, of all of it, really. Oh, I, okay. You know, here at Wake, I'm I'm at the table. I'm I'm in the athletic buildings often. I have great relationships with uh, our upper senior um, uh, ads, the senior staff, and um, our our athletic director includes me on um, something that's called the expanded senior staff meetings. So I'm I'm at the table, and I I get to I mean I have great relationships with people that I just didn't have access to in my previous institution. Um, and I think that really helps with building the relationship and the support system within the athletic department. Yeah. Um, I think that's probably one of the biggest differences for me when I got here, when I was, I, I had just gotten the job at Sanford. I went into the bookstore, I bought a t-shirt mm-hmm. and I was like, so excited. I was like, Hey, I'm the new marching band director. And, and the person's like, Oh, great. It's like, cool. 
All right, yeah. well, hold on. Um, <laughs> and, um, yeah, so... And I'll also take some gum. Thank you. That's yes. exactly, yeah. <laughs> and, and then when I got to Wake, I called about my uh, my my ID card, and I was trying to find out where I was going to go. And I called over, and I was like, hey, is this the place I'm supposed to go? And she's like, yes. And she's like, you know, who are you? And I told her. She's like, oh, you're the new marching band director. Oh, I heard we were getting a new one. That's great. Well, we're so excited you're here. And I was like, oh, Yeah. Very different. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, the support level is, is uh, quite quite different. Yeah. yeah. Hey, I was going to tell you, I do have another degree that I actually, well, a program that I worked on in the past year. Two, well, that's not true. Two years. Uh -huh. um, when I was, I, I actually was working over at School of the Arts on a certificate in conducting. Oh, all right. Yeah. So that kept me very busy as well. Is, is that still going or done or I'm done now. Sweet. Just to feel just a, just a little, a little bit better about the, the wind band. I, I do. Well, so I, I felt really good as a conductor. Um, I just felt like I was a conductor, not an artist. Sure. And I really wanted to work on becoming an artist. And, and yeah. I know that, you know, it's hard to work on that per se, but I felt like I just was missing something that connected that I was missing the in between the two. Mm -hmm. Do you remember Mark Norman? Mark was uh, at UNCG. He did his degrees there. He was a tuba uh, tubist with the um, Navy band. Um, and then came back to UNCG um, and did grad work with uh, Locke and then Giraldi for conducting. Okay. And he's now the one that's director of instrumental ensembles, I think is his title over at school of the arts. Mm. So, you know, I had studied when I moved here, I started taking conducting lessons with Kevin Fitzgerald, who is with the now the Jacksonville Symphony. At the time, he was the assistant for uh, the Alabama Symphony okay. and did that for a while and, and learned a ton because he's you know, the orchestral side is a little different sometimes than when conducting. Not all the time, but sometimes. Um then Mark and I were talking one day and I asked him about taking some lessons and just continuing to build those chops. And he presented me with an opportunity to, you know, have receive a scholarship and not have it cost very much at all mm -hmm. to go to the UNC school of the arts and do a performing art. Let's see. What is it? A professional artist certificate in conducting. And, um, it was great. He he threw me in. I was conducting chamber ensembles, uh, brass groups. I conducted the the orchestra, conducted the wind ensemble quite a bit. Yeah. It, it was kind of that middle ground that I hadn't received yet, or those opportunities that I hadn't been able to stand in front of those groups. Yeah, and it was it was kind of that pen that really just locked it into place. So, yeah, it was a lot of fun doing that. Hard, very hard. But... Finish out with random ask questions. Final second. Right, go for it. All right. First question: An issue in uh, in the band fields, and it could be in the percussion field, even though that's not your main thing. Uh, something that most gets under your skin or drives you the most nuts. I'm always careful when I when I answer a question like this because I, you know I don't want to upset people and and have people think poorly of me. But honestly, one of the things for me, I think, really is that we put too much focus on competition in in high school band mm -hmm. just because i feel like because we put so much emphasis on that sometimes it just 
continues to put a, a wider gap between programs that are able to do things at a really high level with a lot of resources and those that don't have as many resources or just aren't capable of doing some of the same things. And I, I just, I don't know, for me, that's just not where I would want to put my priorities. Um, I, I'm not knocking it for others. I, that's just my personal thing. I wish we could just not have as much competition and have it be more about the experiences and what making music does for you. What was the that part of the experience like when you were a band director in high school? So I taught in an area where we had some some programs that were able to really be competitive, you know, very regionally, and some that would also go and do some of the the BOA regionals. And you know, some of those programs were great. They they really had resources and the size also of the school to be able to create bands of you know 200 plus where you can do a lot of great things so for me um, i was at a smaller school and i didn't have you know i think it was the highest number we had was like 70 or 75 in the marching band and you know there were were different so many different levels of playing that i wasn't necessarily able to separate to build skills one at a time to try to to balance as much as just trying to meet in the middle yeah so it it just created i had limitations on what i was going to be able to do there was a ceiling there and i think that you know majority of the programs are probably closer to that than they are the other side where you have all these things that you can do because of yeah. resources and size for me it was just that that's kind of where my eyes started to open to it and yeah i i mean i enjoyed my students love the competitive side i just love that they enjoyed doing it yeah. What are the ways that you think about uh, issues of inclusion, diversity, and equity? It's a great question. So here, you know, at Wake, kind of like I was saying earlier, it it with recruiting to Wake, it's more about who's coming to Wake as far as what I can really recruit into the program. But what I do with my program is I try to make sure that my students always know that no matter what, it's a safe space for us. It's it's a place where I actively encourage and actively invite our students to be who they are, teach others that, you know, not everyone's the same as you. And that's actually what makes us all fantastic and beautiful is that we're not all the same. It would be boring if we were all the same. So just trying to not only embrace that, but just embrace what the university is doing as well with those initiatives um, and the university has done some stuff over the past couple of years to recognize Pat, their past and some things that, you know, they're not proud of. Um, and I think here within the band program, you know, marching band specific, um, I, I just, I, yeah, I, I kind of have this, I, this philosophy of everything's positive in our program. Um, I, as I talked a little bit earlier about positive leadership I don't allow our students to be negative. We're allowed to have things where we disagree with and we're allowed to um, provide feedback or criticism, but it has to be done with a solution and a way to be able to turn things around and make it a positive situation. So I think that has really opened doors for all of my students to just absolutely feel comfortable within our program being exactly who they are. And I'm um, that's something that I, I see it on their faces and I see, you know, even, even they tell me often they're like, you know, just 
thank you for supporting us. Thank you for for letting us be who we are. Um, and I and I, and that's all the students, you know, I, I got a thing the other day, kind of the end of the year, like thank you notes that are given to, to professors and stuff. And the one that made me feel so happy about and proud is that uh, one of the students said, you know, you really helped me to transition into college. I don't know who the student was. I, I mean, based on what they were saying, I could probably have an idea. Yeah. Um, but really helping me transition. And every single time you see me, you ask me how I'm doing. You always make me feel welcome and you always make me feel like I belong here. So that's definitely something. Um, some of the other things that we're doing, too, is like looking at, at music selection, um, looking at people, you know, who we're, we have teaching, looking at making sure that we have representation with halftime shows. That's something I, I try my best to do with not only halftime shows, but what we're playing in the stands, making sure that we have representation um, on that. And also from, you know, looking at who's writing for us as well. So on the, on the concert side, that's something also that I'm doing as well is trying to make sure that there's always representation in our music that we select um, I actually just talked to a composer this morning uh, via email, Haley Woodrow, um, about joining a, a, a consortium that she's doing. And I, if you don't know Haley Woodrow, I highly recommend checking out Haley's music. Wonderful, wonderful writer. Um, she was sharing with me that I, I purchased the first copy of her piece uh, in two places. And I didn't know that. So she was sharing that with me. And and it's a, it's a great piece if you're ever looking for something to do. Highly recommend that. Um, yeah, but that's just that's some of the the things that we're trying to do, and yeah, I'm trying to support the university initiatives as well. Great. All right. Other questions: Has anyone ever nailed an impression of you, and if so, how'd they do it? Oh yeah, the color guard at Samford University. Um, they got me one day. They all showed up wearing a pair of Nike tennis shoes, a pair of khaki golf shorts, and a polo, mm-hmm. and a hat. And they all had their keys on a lanyard and they all walked up to me spending their keys on a lanyard. <laughs> yep. And you're and like, it's like looking at a bunch of mirrors right here. Absolutely. And it was, it was great. It, it made my day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah they, you know, uh, did you see them from like a distance? Like, Oh I, no, I didn't. I didn't. I was, I was busy doing something. And then all of a sudden I turned around and they're all like right there. And I'm like, Got it. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's a good question. I've never been asked that one. That's a great question, by the way. Oh, thanks. What is something that you uh, wouldn't be able to make any money from necessarily, but you are actually an all-time great at? Smoking uh, pulled pork. Oh, well, that is something that people, I think, I mean, can yeah. actually... Yeah. I, yeah, but I, I'm not ever going to be able to make money at it. <laughs> I got you. <laughs> do you have a like a length of time? Do you have like multiple recipes? What, what's your, what's your, oh, yeah. you, is it just like you have a go-to and that's what you do and we're good? I, I have a go-to, um, make my own own sauce. It's kind of a, a combination of a, like an Eastern North Carolina vinegar-based sauce uh-huh. with a little bit of a sweetness to it as well. Um, yeah. I took a couple of recipes and just com- combined stuff that I liked. Yeah. And I use a charcoal grill with like a smoke box off to the side. It's the barrel type grill with a little smoke box on the side. Yeah. And I go about a 90 minute to roughly an hour and 45 minutes per pound of okay. barbecue. 
So there's been many nights where I wake up at two o'clock in the morning and I go out and I start doing this and I, I sleep on the couch and I set my alarm to go off in an hour and 45 minutes to go put a little more charcoal in. And um, yeah, I, f- I feel like I've kind of mastered that for, for it, it took, I spent a lot of money learning how to do it. I'll say yeah. that. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Otherwise I'm trying to think if there was anything that I I'm good at that would never be able to make money at. Ugh, I don't know. Yeah. I'm starting to realize I'm boring. <laughs> What's the most impractical item of clothing you own? Actually, I have a shirt. That has a band uh, and you're... Yeah. <laughs> we already talked about that. I, I have a shirt that is... I can't, I can't wear it in public anymore. I've worn it for so many years. Um, and it's, if you see the commercial where they talk about the, the collar of your shirts, it is the like stretched collar. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's, it's borderline ripping in places and I just still continue to wear it. I refuse. And I also have a pair of athletic shorts that are the same and I will not get rid of them until I absolutely have to throw them away. And that'll be when I can't sew them anymore. <laughs> they're, they're, they mean that much to you. They do. Um, I don't know why the, the shorts, especially that I have just, I bought them ooh, six years ago, I think maybe. Uh-huh. Yeah, I've worn them way too many times. Gotcha. Yeah, they're all there. They've got rips and all kinds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. All right. What's a great movie and what's a terrible movie? Ooh, good question. My all-time favorite movie is, and, and it's funny because if you ask my wife, it's also a terrible movie for her. Oh, okay, good. Um, the Last of the Mohicans with Daniel Day Lewis. Oh, yeah. I, I don't know why. I love that movie. I love the soundtrack. I yeah. to this day, I could put it on in the background and let it play while I fall asleep. The soundtrack, I love it. She hates it. Interesting. <laughs> yep. She just thinks it's a terrible story. And about, yeah. So for me, a terrible movie. I'm trying to think what a terrible movie would be for me. I, I struggle. I, I like pretty much everything. Hmm. I take that back. Actually, so for me, and this is this is probably going to offend some people, like something like Spaceballs. I I can't. I know. I know. I know. I know. That's what I'm saying. I just can't do it. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Good to know. <laughs> Watch Last of the Mohicans five hundred times. <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> All right. Interesting. Interesting. All right. What's a favorite book? Oh, that, yeah. Anything Malcolm Gladwell writes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I really like Malcolm Gladwell. I love um, the way he thinks, the way he researches and looks at things, um, the way he tells and presents it and transitions in his his books. Um, and also, I've recently been turned on to Adam Grant. I don't know if you know that name or not. I don't know that I know. Very, very similar to um, Malcolm Gladwell. I think they both went to the same school, kind of have the similar background, a little, little different in, in writing styles, but, but same, same concepts. So okay. yeah, anything Malcolm Gladwell does, I favorite hands down. This is a, this is going to be a weird transition, but um, Ksenia Kolmianovich is going to be at school of the arts. Yeah. Yeah. And she hates Malcolm Gladwell. Oh, so, well, you, so you should, you should, uh, and this is like, she's made this public for a long time on the ad percussion podcast. So you should just like be like, 
I hear you're a big fan or something. Yeah. something just to just to just to see where that when you next time you see her. If you I'm haven't curious. seen her yet. Is it the ten thousand hour concept that that she doesn't like? I I if I'm I have to think about what it is. I think it's that the way that he um, can appropriate other people's research. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's it's a fair criticism. I I I I kind of I see her point. I think it's a fair. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. like. I think part of the thing that makes that makes him good, I think, is that he's so good at presenting it. Right. That. It's very readable, um, and it's very it's it's actually like very broad, but still pretty specific. Like it's it kind of it it fi- it hits a fine line, I think. Yeah, I, I yeah, I can definitely agree with that, and and that's why I think reading his stuff and then watching there was a YouTube video I watched with him and Adam Grant, mm-hmm. and just to hear them kind of going back because they they go at each other a little bit, yeah, but with a, a great respect for one another. And I think that's where I kind of got turned on to Adam Grant. I haven't read all of his stuff, but he, he seems to be much more of an, he's a researcher himself. He, he's really into the research. What's one of the books of his to look into? Think again. Hmm. Yep. Yeah. Think again. And then originals originals hmm. is um, also a very good book. The, the opening story in there is talking about um, in, in originals uh, Warby Parker and mm. I got started and yeah. So definitely, definitely encourage you anyone to read originals. I think that's a great, great starting place for, for him. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Do you have a sports fandom? So sports fandom. Yeah. I'm definitely into college football. Absolutely. Yeah. Love, love college football. Um, new in our house. And, and I'm kind of, I, I'm, I don't want to be like the bandwagon fan, but I'm kind of coming into it because of my son. Mm-hmm. Son plays hockey and we are watching the hurricanes right now. You know, they're, they're doing, doing very well. Doing very well. Um, so I'm starting to really get into hockey. I never really watched too much, but he started playing. He's been playing for two years now. And it's it's amazing to watch these these children who can't skate. And then two months later, they're skating. Yeah, out they're 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 aggressive. They're trying stuff, and they have all the padding on, so they're falling all over the place. Sure, and they right up because it doesn't hurt. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so watching him get into that, he every morning he gets up and goes on his iPad and checks the scores from the night before. Mm-hmm. So through that, uh, the the hockey hockey bug is definitely in our house right now. So yeah. Where is somewhere that you have not traveled to that you still want to get to? I'm actually getting ready to go to many of those places. Mm. Yeah. So I have never traveled to Vienna, Salzburg, or Prague, or Germany. And I'm, I'm getting ready to go to all of them. Um, three different locations in Germany. I'll be in Darmstadt, Bonn, and Berlin, or four, and Leipzig as well. Mm. And then I'll spend time in Salzburg. I'll spend time in uh, Vienna. So Nice. Yeah, I'm only weeks away from being able to to check those off the list. That's that's awesome. Yeah. I, you should because uh, it's not super far away. I don't think from Vienna and Salzburg. But I was like, if you got if you got to go to Dresden, yeah, it's actually the only place in Germany I've been. Because um, okay. when we did that that same wind ensemble trip I was telling you about, that was the that was the one German location because we did Vienna Salzburg. Chesky Krumlov in in Czech Republic, yeah. 
and prop and yeah. So it was like kind of, it was just like a day trip, but it was amazing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I've started researching a composer who spent a good portion of his life in Darmstadt and I'm going in the end of May, first part of June to do that research. And I'm hoping just with the people I'm meeting, the connections I'm making as I, as I travel through Europe, I'm hoping to be able to branch out and continue to do more trips and more research over there. So yeah, we'll, we'll see how it goes, but I, I cannot wait for this, this trip to be able to go to these places. So you were to meet someone and maybe thinking on the more obscure pop culture thing, but you meet someone and they say, I like blank, whatever that is. And you would immediately go, all right, we're good. What's that for you? Outside of the last, of the Mohicans, I would probably, I know I was like that. Okay. Yes. We can eliminate <laughs> outside of that one. Oh, the drummer. Um, so if I met any, any person in in pop culture of any sort, and they go, you know, my favorite Pearl Jam era was the first three albums were BFFs. <laughs> it's good. It's a great era. <laughs> yep. Two drummers on those three albums and one that was supporting it for the tour, which played on the second and third. He's he's my go-to. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, that's that's good stuff. Those, are, I mean, yeah, that music is still really, really good. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'll, I'll probably listen to it again sometime before the end of the week. Nice. Yeah. Awesome. Nothing right. after that, though. No, no more Pearl Jam after that. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the. Um, did you ever see the the SNL skit where that with um, where they talk about Weezer? I know. I haven't. Uh-uh. It's with uh, I think it's um, uh, Matt Damon, and there's like they get into this whole argument where it's like anything after Pinkerton is crap. And like, and and so there's like, it's the same kind of thing. Like, yep. Yep. Yeah. Anything after the, the Vitology album. Don't want to hear. (laughs) Was a, a non music related goal that you have still for your life? Hmm. Is this the pulled pork thing? No, 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 no. Um, (laughs) I'm I'm good with that. That one's, that one's set. (laughs) I got that one. I mean, if I can make that a second career, maybe we'll see. I don't know. Oh, wow. That's a great question. So, you, you know, this is going to sound like super, super cheesy and, mm-hmm. and cliche. Honestly, I just want to be a dad that my kids continue to call all the way through their adulthood. That's awesome. Yeah. And like I said, I know it's it's super cliche kind of thing, but honestly, that's that's one of the most important things to me. That's great. Yep. Sorry to like take it down and make it. Make no, it. no, it's fine. I know. Not <laughs> sorry to make us all cry, Tim. Thanks a lot. Yeah. Uh, um, no, that's really great. That's great. All right. Last couple strangest, funniest, most bizarre performance moment that involves you. Ooh. So this one's very specific. I remember this to this day. Yeah. Um, I was playing a, a, a church had asked me to play drum set for their choir at a um, Pentecostal um, like camp meeting kind of thing. Yeah. Like under the tent, the whole, like, yeah, everything you think of when you think of that, I was probably, I don't know, probably 23 years ago, something like that. Because at the time, you know, I I still had the two earrings in this year and one in this year. And I was wearing the, the, the cutoff jeans with my Doc Martens and I had the platinum spiky hair and I was on stage 
playing um, that night. And it, when I wasn't playing, I went and sat on the side of the stage and just waited. And the pastor actually starts talking about rock and roll and people who looked like I looked at the moment and just started condemning us. And it was a moment of like, the stage right here (laughs) in the entire place locked the eyes on me yeah it was a moment i was like cool and then the the lady who hired me the choir director was uh, directly across the stage and she's just looking at me going i'm sorry i'm so sorry (laughs) it was it was a moment yeah i i'm good if that never ever ever happened again (laughs) yeah that's probably one of the most bizarre ones you've ever heard, I'm sure. That's that is wild. They're yeah. like, and, and the devil is sitting right there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, and please, you you don't have to use that one if you don't want to. No, no, I'm that's I'm that staying in. You got to kidding me. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Did did you get paid? Uh, I I don't even remember. I think so. I don't remember. <laughs> That You're my, just like I just need to get out of here. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember if that was like a favor gig or if it was just a. I, yeah, I don't remember, but I remember that night very well, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Right. Tim, last question: One piece of art could be music, movies, books, podcasts, YouTube clips, theater, visual art, poetry, anything has impacted you the most recently. A few years ago, I was in Chicago for Midwest. And I, I walked, you know, it was kind of on the main street walking downtown and there was a gallery. It was very clearly like a privately owned gallery mm-hmm. and the door was open and I just walked in and I was like, Hey, are you still open? And they're like, yeah, come on. In. And I, I don't remember who it was by. I don't remember the name of it, but there was a painting on the wall that I couldn't stop looking at. And I, every time I looked at it, I saw something different and it was the most the most clearly defined art that I had seen that just told me exactly what was happening to the artist. And it was about pain. I remember like some of the colors were very red, dark. And and I just remember there's not many times that I've looked at a painting and gone, Oh, I know exactly what they're saying. Sometimes I'm like, well, this, that, and the other. No, I, I looked at it and I knew immediately there was something that was in the, the image that just kind of, spoke and yeah um that was definitely it was very clearly about letting go and sharing of pain yeah you have no idea you don't know who what you would no i i think i took a picture of the like the nameplate but it's probably on my iCloud somewhere way way deep (laughs) but yeah yeah yeah, i remember it it wasn't too far away from um like the symphony hall where where the the gallery was and it was on the corner of one of the streets and i went back the next year i was like please let it be here and it wasn't there so Mm. it had become something else already what a pleasure and a lot of fun to talk to tim as mentioned before, it was awesome to get to see him and Wake's band again at the Gasparilla Bowl. He even brought me a Wake Band t-shirt, which I'm happy to have worn in the recent past, and I'm hopeful for the program to grow in the coming years. Best of luck, Tim, on the band position and the research coming up. This week's rave is Fast 10. 
the most recent addition to the Fast and the Furious franchise, starring Vin Diesel, Charlize Theron, Brie Larson, Michelle Rodriguez, Jason Momoa, John Cena, Ludacris, Tyrese Gibson, Rita Moreno, and many, many others, and directed by Louis Leterrier, now playing in theaters. There aren't many movies these days that I'll make a note to definitely go see them in theater, but the Fast and the Furious franchise is one of them. I'm fairly sure I've raved about previous selections in the oeuvre in the past, so it's time to talk about this one since it just came out a few weeks ago. Part of the fun of these movies is that it knows exactly what type of movie it is and what its constituency is and wants and delivers. You don't go see these films to see great acting or great screenwriting. That's not the point. You go to see ridiculous car chases, dumb dialogue delivered with incredible seriousness, and to escape. It's not real, and it tends to make less and less sense the further you go into these films, and that's exactly what I want from it. Action sequences to watch while also giggling through much of it. Notable items this time around... One, I'm not really sure why Marita Moreno was in this and was brought in to be a grandmother for a scene, but it worked. She was great. Two, Jason Momoa was operating on several levels removed from the rest of the cast. He is delightfully bonkers in this film. He's having more fun than should be allowed, and he definitely spent some time in the Nick Cage acting school prior to doing this film. Three, There's a long car chase bomb sequence through much of the city of Rome that, as I mentioned on social media, would entail a sizable infrastructure repair bill. I'll leave it at that. One other note, there was a giant bomb in that bomb sequence that was also on fire before the bomb blew because movie magic. And four, a lot of the film involved Vin Diesel's son being the point of kidnapping and chase sequences, and the son did quite well in his role. Otherwise, it's all you want from this franchise, including Vin Diesel acting school, just all over the place. It's still in theaters, so check out the latest Fast and the Furious movie, Fast 10. I usually say right now, you'll be glad you did. I don't think so, but you know what to expect, so go enjoy it. And that's our show. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and leave a comment and a rating. You can always find every episode and the show notes at the homepage at PeteZambito.com slash Pete's Percussion Podcast, the episodes. The show is also on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, and many other podcast locations. If you're on Facebook, like the page Pete's Percussion Podcast. You can find me there on Instagram and Twitter at Pete Zambito or by email at Pete's Perk Pod at gmail.com. And I'll catch you next time. Until then.